0: Welcome to Todd Talks, where my guest today is Michael J. Mantle. He allows us to call him Mike. (laughs) Mike is the president and CEO of Living Water International, which is a faith based global humanitarian organization. Prior to coming to serve at Living Water, Mike was 17 years at World Vision, and before that, spent some nine years in the business world. Mike holds a bachelor degree from Calvin College and the PhD in organizational development from Benedictine University. Mike has recently been honored as one of Houston's most admired CEOs by the Houston Business Journal. And once you get to meet Mike, if you don't already know him, you will see what they see, what I see. Mike serves as an elder at Grace Presbyterian Church in Houston, where he lives with his wife, Natalie. Together, they have four daughters. This has been a busy season for Mike because just yesterday, his recent book, about which we will speak some, Thirsting for Living Water, Finding Adventure and Purpose in God's Redemption Story, was released by InterVarsity Press, and that was on top of a recent Global Gathering for Living Water, which is their annual fundraising, friend-raising event. So, Mike, welcome to Todd Talks. Thanks for your time, not least during these busy days.
1: Dean Still, I am delighted to be with you, and I love the title of this, Todd Talks. I think that is so (laughs) clever, and uh, of course, I know you well, and I've followed your uh, work and contributions, and um, thank you for allowing me to participate with you this morning. Mike,
0: one of the joys of the last year was in the context of COVID to get to know you and to get to know more about Living Water International. Uh, friends uh, who are ours uh, are friends who need to become yours. So I'm very excited about uh, introducing you and uh Living Water International to any number of friends in our network. So, Mike, let's start like this. Uh, Share with us a bit about your personal and professional journey. Uh, What uh, sparked your passion for the global church? What caused you to want to bring clean water to those in need? And how has that journey taken you from kind of the point of beginning to where you find yourself today?
1: That is a big and rich question. Thank you for that <laughs> question. Um, you know, my, my introduction really to a larger purpose was just on a trip. I took a trip to Senegal in uh, West Africa. I was in my late twenties, which uh, has been a few years ago. And it was a, a lark. It was just an adventure. I was uh, following a donation made. Uh, to this uh, group called World Vision. And uh, as a business person, I was just a little suspicious about, you know, how's this money going to be used and what does it mean? And But I think mostly I just wanted to get my feet on the ground uh, in Africa and, and have an adventure. And what struck me in those few weeks um, when I was in Senegal was uh, this impossible story coming together without going into a lot of details because the details are outlined in my book but god wove together um, people from ann arbor michigan from uh, uh uh vietnam from england from senegal and somehow the miracle of safe water was presented in the middle of a desert somehow the gospel was articulated in french which was translated into wolof and this impossibility of uh, bringing life to people through water and spiritual life through the gospel was all visible in the moment and i just felt that uh, god is the master strategist that God is somehow interacting with us and inviting us into his work that we cannot even see. And then I just prayed. I said, God, I wanna work for you because nobody can plan strategy like you do God. And uh, I kept praying that prayer. And uh, over the years, I discovered that in fact, God works through his people. We often call that the church. And then I discovered the church in so many of its textures. And over the last 30 years, I have fallen in love with the fact that God is inviting his church to change the world with our Savior. And that is a perfect segue, Mike, to this
0: question What does it look like and what does it take to become church communities that are effective agents of gospel driven? change. I mean, ostensibly, this is in the DNA of congregations, Mm. but how do you mobilize congregations for mission in general and mission that is focused upon bringing clean water to those without it uh, in particular? How have you seen this?
1: Let me first introduce just a bit about who Living Water is conceptually. So um, this ministry, its mission is to help communities access water and experience the living water, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we'll talk further about this integral mission of demonstration and proclamation, but that's the DNA of Living Water International. And we've been on mission for 31 years. Seven million people have had access to living water, um, through, uh, 21,000 water projects in 18 countries, so that's the context in which um, I'm interpreting the work of the church, and so when you look at the church globally, um, I think it's kind of fun to break it down geographically. You know, there's a global body of Christ, there's regional or continental bodies of Christ, countries, and then within countries, there's communities, cities, and we finally get down to how do we interact with church in our local context in our in our personal lives in the lives of our family the friends how do we serve through the church and the church is so big and so intimate at the same time it is both here and there and and so the question it's a Fair question, how does the church get engaged in uh, the adventure and purpose (laughs) of God's redemption? Well, it depends on where you sit. You know, within these low-income communities where where we work in Africa, Latin America, India, the church in the community, um, as it gets engaged in the most fundamental needs of its people, water, the church becomes visible and relevant in the lives of those people. As churches in those communities begin to link arms with each other, the body of Christ becomes visible within that community and really a water project couldn't be pulled off by an individual church. Churches have to work together cross cultural, tribal, denominational lines, but then that collective body that's physically visible begins to proclaim the unity of the body of Christ. And and people begin to pay attention to the church. When you step back into the national and global context, the body of Christ has many members and each belongs to each other. And the resources are scattered and we learn from one another and we participate with what we have. So that I think the key is to... Uh, ask god how my church can get engaged in the local national global cause of redemption and then do something for me it's water because it's so fundamental and so powerful but i, I think god's calling us to do something through multiple organizations and multiple uh, opportunities
0: Yes, so we see that the kingdom of God runs along relational rails, and that God is able to bring together uh, congregations uh, and um, those engaged in mission for uh, kingdom purposes, which is uh, re- remarkable and exciting. Mike, you 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 flag and you signal that that water is so uh, vital, so integral, uh, having been privileged to be at the recent uh, Living Water International global event where uh, we had opportunity to see afresh uh, uh, the ongoing story of Living Water. I will never forget uh, the, the joy on the face and just the sheer delight uh, in the hearts of those uh, who've been drinking out of cesspools uh, and now are able to drink Uh, glasses of water, I I mean, pouring it on one another's heads. I mean, talk to us about how these kinds of things happen and why why water is this kind of conduit, this kind of medium.
1: It's so difficult for us to fully grasp the power of water when we have it, when we walk to our faucets when we When we hit the button of clean water that comes out of our refrigerators and it's all chilled, you know I still remember after you know one of my first trips to um, Africa um, decades ago, I carried with me a story, a question uh, of of this uh, elder in a community. Um, this elder asked me, he says, "Is it true that in America you flush your waste with with clean water? Is that true? That was a concept that was as difficult for that elder to get his mind around as it is for us to think about um, brothers and sisters that don't have water. So let's just think about that a second. If you, if you don't have clean water, you are always sick. You, your children always have diarrhea. You are always biting amoebas. You are always prone to uh, uh, cholera or even more challenging Ebola and COVID. You're always, uh, you know, vulnerable. If water takes a half-hour walk, the fetchers of water, women and children, are vulnerable to attack. It's 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 a dangerous thing to get water. If 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 these women and children are spending hours a day collecting water. They're not in school. They're they're not developing their economies. They're not able to invest as much as they can in their families. So instinctively or intellectually, people grasp that if I have water, there's a multiplier impact, not just in my health, but my education, my livelihoods, my safety. And when the church is seen as the agent of that blessing, The church is um, visible and attractive. And people always ask, well, why do you care? Well, I care because God loves you. Jesus loves you. Have you heard of Jesus? And that interplay of water and the living water is so natural. And it has such a dramatic physical and spiritual impact. And, And that's why I'm invested. I'm invested my life in water And there are many other ways to invest our life as we follow the Lord, but water has such a dramatic impact. It reminds me, Mike, as Jesus begins
0: his earthly ministry, his uh, inaugural sermon in Nazareth, where he declares, citing sacred scripture, that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Mm -hmm. He's been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, to... uh, be sent to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and one could say, uh, and uh, to provide water for those uh, who are thirsty. I mean, it seems to me that this is part and parcel of Jesus's own trajectory uh, for ministry. So, Mike, uh, you've written a book, and you've spent uh, a lot of time and a lot of energy on uh, thirsting for living water. Uh, It launched yesterday. Um, uh, You and I don't give birth to babies, but you and I have the opportunity to celebrate the birth of children. And uh, so uh, a book has been born. Uh, Mm -hmm. Talk to us about how this book uh, came to be and take us on a tour because Mm -hmm. um, my own uh, uh, opportunity to read Thirsting for Living Water uh, swept me along in the stream of stories that are powerful and impactful, uh, not unlike a rushing stream. So talk to us about, uh, about your book for a bit.
1: Dean, I think it goes back to the fundamentals of uh, knowing that God lives and is inviting us into his work and asking him what it is that we should do. So that's a daily prayer. And I was uh, sitting with some colleagues at Living Water and I did not intend to ever think about writing a book. And, you know, I've written a dissertation, you know, we've written articles, you know, but writing a book was not on my bucket list. And this team of colleagues said, you know, we really need to articulate how Living Water is not just a Christian well drilling ministry, but as a, a member of the body of Christ, we are equipping the church around the world to share the gospel in word and deed. You know how do we shift that dialogue? So it started, you know, for a you know a, a business professional, a ministry leader, as just it, it was a an important business communication task, and. So, I, all right, you know, I think I left the room when they signed me up to this, you know, I'll give it a try. I had no idea that you, <laughs> that you really needed to frame the story and find the publishers and get the credits and theorize, you know, theorize and theologize. I had no idea, no idea. And um, but then we started telling stories to one another. We started talking about uh, the stories in our lives in my life, in the life of my wife, in our children's lives, in our church's life and um, what really began to uh, move me was the stories of churches my Family church, growing up the the churches I met in community, the churches I met in the inner cities of Chicago and Houston, the churches I met as I went around the world, and these stories were so powerful, so uh, invigorating, that I wanted to tell stories of what was right with the church because you know remember a couple of years ago the press was always talking about what was wrong with the church and. And I'm like, this is not the church that I know. This is not the church I experienced. Let's tell the stories of what's right with the church. And then there was another shift. Um, In my prayers, when I was tired of writing, but I was excited about the stories, I felt God whispering, not audibly, but just in my mind, tell the story of my faithfulness. And that almost became well, it did become an act of obedience that said, I, I must tell the story of God's faithfulness. And it was a four-year process. We get to the, the final year and, you know, I'm working with my colleagues. I'm thinking through, you know, what we needed to do yet. And it, it struck me that while my story is a decent vehicle through which to tell the living water story, through which to tell the story of, you know, God in action through his church. The real story is what is God doing in the lives of the reader? How do we personally respond to God's invitation in our lives? And how do we look back as readers? How do we reflect on what God has done in our lives, what he's doing in our lives and what he's calling us to do? Now that's when the book lit up, because then it, is, it, it has a purpose. If someone grabs the book and reads through the 12 reflections, they can explore scripture, love, faith, hope. They can walk through their own lives to their family and the uh, outward extending concentric circles of community and city and world. And then they can discover what God is doing in the world over the church over there and over here. And then it became a book worth writing because it opens up conversation between us and between us and God. And it's a discovery of God's faithfulness in each one of our lives. And my hope is that as we tell those stories, those hopeful, positive stories of God's redemption, that more people will be attracted to the master strategist and join him in his marvelous work. Mike, uh, this was not
0: always a story that had to emerge. Uh, It actually emerged as you share so transparently and poignantly from a time of suffering in your own life. And you speak of it as um, St. John of the Cross did as a dark night of the soul how is it that from this cauldron of uh, tribulation that uh, this, uh, this story uh, um, emerges? Um, what allowed you along the way to actually um, turn and uh, to see that uh, you shall be my witnesses, which was the sense of call, but now uh, to lift up your eyes and see, yes, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the world. How is it that this
1: turned for you? When I was first asked to consider writing the book, it, it was in 2017, and part of my resistance to um, trying to write the book was that I didn't have any more bandwidth. Um, I really was doubting whether I was hearing God clearly and, um, and I started to explore why that was because some of us, especially those of Dutch descent, don't tend to look at our feelings and our emotions. We tend to you know, strap up and get back into the game. So I had to pause and do some introspection on why I felt alone, why I felt tired, um, why, um, what was causing this limited capacity, um, you know, to to explore and write this book. And there there was some kind of personal therapy that went on where I, you know, I'd lost my father. Uh, He was a great man. but I had lost them in a in a uh, in a way in which I began to think about thirst. Um, <laughs> when my father died, uh, my wife had neglected to to take her ultrasounds, um, and so we went, you know, into the uh, the doctor to just do a, a regular checkup, and then you know we found that she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and. I love my wife, you know, and we we've been intimate for so long, such partners, and the thought of losing her um, uh, really impacted me. And I started thinking about our love and Christ's love through us, and these personal hits began to reduce my capacity a bit. But we all live within the context of our work and our ministry and our. And we were in a very difficult financial environment. You know, we 2017, we had a very difficult market conditions and global recessions. We had, you know, um, election challenges and people were, you know, fighting one another. Then we had the crash of oil, which we're very familiar with in, you know, Houston and, and Dallas. Um, uh, and then we had Hurricane Harvey. And so from a personal perspective, uh, Uh, family health challenges to economic challenges and environmental challenges, I began to question whether or not um, my memory of the master strategist, the almighty God inviting us to participate in his work and guiding us every step of the way, I began to question my recollection of God, which then created a leadership challenge for me. If, if I don't really hear God, how can I make the right calls in the middle of these, this crazy world where disasters is the norm? How, because I am not smart enough to make the call and the calls I need to make are too big. They impact too many people. And if, if God's not guiding me and us, what can I stand on? And so that was the dark night of the soul. It wasn't as much the personal... Um, challenge or the environmental uh, uh, loss. It was the questioning whether God was true to his promise that he existed and would guide us every step of the way, which launched me back in time and around the world in a discovery process to see if God was true. Was he faithful? Could I trust that he will guide us And the book really is then the journey of the discovery in time and around the world that validates. For me, I have proof that the almighty God loves us, he knows us, and he is inviting us into his work. And it's an adventure. And I can't wait to see what the next chapter is. But I couldn't have gotten there without the dark night. I think the dark night is part of our faith.
0: So Mike, as folks uh, will uh, uh, get and read uh, Thirsting for Living Water, what they'll discover is in one way, it is uh, a memoir. uh, In uh, one way, it is a Christian autobiography. uh, In one way, it is about an organization. uh, In one way, it is about um, a person's experiences that become, uh, in a very real way, an invitation for additional reflection about the mission to which God is calling you. So it seems to me that, Mike, if uh, leadership is storytelling and good leadership is better storytelling, that you have uh, exercised remarkable leadership Uh, not only of your organization, but also you've borne winsome witness to uh, your own faith in God as the master strategist. So, Mike, uh, I think that it would be wonderful for folks uh, to hear you reflect upon uh, one further question, because I think sometimes um, people really do harbor in the back of their minds. Well, you know, uh, the needs that people really have are spiritual needs, uh, and y- you're you're talking about uh, m- meeting physical needs, sating kind of uh, physical desires. And I would love, Mike, for folks to hear you reflect upon uh, what Living Water calls integral. It's not u- unique to you, but integral mission, ho- holistic. Uh, mission, where uh, body and um, uh, spirituality are not divorced, but they're brought together, where um, the proclamation of the gospel is seen as um, uh, linked to uh, meeting tangible physical needs. Talk to us about this. Uh, This is an area where I find you remarkably insightful
1: and helpful. In the life of our savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, healing the sick and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God were inseparable. So as as I read the scriptures, um, every time Jesus was engaging with his fellow man, he was healing the sick and proclaiming the gospel. When he was equipping his uh, ambassadors to go out, he commanded them to heal the sick and preach the gospel. That there's, there's an, not just an interplay, but there's an inseparability of the proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of the gospel. When we talk about that at Living Water, we talk about water and the word. And that together, when the church together, the two or three that are gathered, the congregation, the denomination, when the church shares that love through both word and deed, it is attractive. It is compelling. It is life changing. One doesn't precede the other necessarily, but together what they do is compel people to realize that the Lord Jesus loves them and is calling them into his kingdom. It is just an imitation of what Jesus has done.
0: Mike, I am reminded of this wonderful passage in Ephesians 5, where it says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. It seems to me that this is in fact the ministry uh, of living water, to take uh, water that is so vital for survival and well-being and link it to the one who said, uh, I am the water of life. The one who drinks of me uh, will uh, uh, have in their own beings <laughs> uh, living water that flows up uh, like, like a well. So, Mike, I I am so grateful for the mission of Living Water in general, for your leadership of uh, the ministry in particular. I look forward to ways that Baylor and Truett might collaborate uh, increasingly with the ministry, and I look forward to uh, recommending and to encouraging uh, others to pick up Thirsting for Living Water, because what you're going to find is that Mike's story and the story of living water will intersect with your story, and it's a part of God's story uh, for his love for the world and his uh, making this real uh, through Christ uh, our Lord. So, Mike, would you allow me to simply offer a prayer of benediction and uh, just thank you once again
1: for your time? But before I do, do you have a last word for us? I'm just so excited about what the Lord has, and I pray that this book, uh, in a, some small way, um, invites people uh, to follow him and get engaged in adventure and purpose. And I'm so grateful, uh, Dean, still to you and Truett and Baylor for um, providing not only this platform, but your commitment to partnership as we work together to you know, serve the church of Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for this morning and and for what uh, we will continue to do.
0: Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for Mike, for the ministry of Living Water, for his leadership, for this book that has been birthed and the story that is being told of the church on mission in the world offering winsome witness to a living, loving Lord Jesus who is the water of life, thank you, that you are using living water and those with whom uh, this organization partners to bring uh, the gift of water uh, to folks so they can drink clean water, so they can have access to all that water does, the the, the washing, uh, the... Uh, all of the ways that water makes our life uh, possible. So God, we we pray that, Lord Jesus, you would continue to shine through this ministry. Thank you for Mike's winsome witness, uh, for the joy that is so evident uh, in his life. May uh, we find in you uh, the joy that makes our lives full to overflowing And we pray that you would continue to strengthen, Mike, extend the ministry of living water around the world so that people might know of uh, your love for them and for the church's care. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. What a delight. We'll
1: talk to you soon.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.